Today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast is sponsored by our friends at Colorado Startups. Their mission is to connect startups with needed capital and talent to build industry-changing companies in Colorado. They are the largest online community of founders in the state and a great resource for local entrepreneurs building a big company. On today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast, we have guest Julian Flannery. He's the co-founder and CEO of Sumus. Sumus is a leading virtual specialist platform. They bring personalized expert advice to every medical decision. Julian Flannery on the RiderFlex podcast. How are you doing, Julian? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's an honor, my friend. I, I, I looked up your background. I'm like, oh, this, guy's, this guy went to Duke and then went to Harvard. Like, I, better, I better sharpen up my game. I better be ready for, for Julian. <laughs> Resumes are overrated, man. <laughs> uh, now, I, I, I looked up when I was studying, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if he was at Duke when they won a national championship. But I, it looks like you, you, you missed, you, you missed it. Like you weren't there when they actually won one. You were like, you came in right after and then they won one. That's, yeah, like that. that's, that's exactly right. I mean, basketball was very good at that time. We never won the national championship. Ironically, our football team was actually quite good. I think we went to the Hall of Fame Bowl that, uh, when I was oh. there. But Duke oh. football is not, uh, you know, it's not Alabama. So, <laughs> what, what did you uh, did you see Coach K in the hallway? Were you like, hey, what's up, man? Were you like, any of well, that? I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I played a sport uh, there, and we we ended up uh, we were going to the uh, the quarterfinals, NCAA quarterfinals, and uh, and I remember Coach K came in and gave us a speech before that uh, before that game. And man, he is he's an excellent motivator. He is uh, he speaks wow. very plainly uh, in quotes. And uh, he's, a, he's an excellent coach. So I, I had that nice experience. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I bet it was, you got to go to the games, right? Were you one of those students leaning over the bench, like doing those chants? Were you, were you one of those? <laughs> you know, I, ne I never was. Um, you know, you, you had to sleep in uh, uh, whatever, Coach Kayville uh, in the tent. Occasionally uh, I got lucky with some friends who had some tickets. But uh, Cameron Crazies wasn't, I couldn't get in there. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> uh, I a buddy of mine that uh, I know quite well is on the advisory board for RiderFlex. Um, he went to Duke. He, yeah. he, uh, he owns a company called X chair. We're just great friends. I used to work with him and uh, yeah, he's a basketball fanatic. And he showed me this picture, this picture of when he was in school and the students are, I mean, literally like the, the bench behind the players. I mean, you're almost touching the players leaning over them. chanting. Oh, yeah. oh, I was yeah. like, wow. Okay. As a player, I thought that would be crazy listening to those students in my ear for two and a half hours. But I, I, I agree. Well, Cameron's it's like a high school gym, and so you got this great acoustic thing that happens, and and you've got mm. uh, you know a really fanatic uh, fan base, and it's a tough place to play if you're coming in visiting. <sighs> I bet. Yeah. So yeah. so tell the listeners a little about yourself personally. I mean, we're already touching on Duke, but how about even earlier, some family stuff, where you grew up, things like that. Go for it. Yeah, no, I look, I, I, I'm what I call a NAFTA child or a North American child. I, I was born in Canada, spent two years there. Uh, my, my mother's side of the family was, um, was Canadian. They taught at McGill uh, in medicine. So I have a family, uh, a lot of my um, family was actually, I come from a family of doctors. So I deeply understand medicine, which I know we'll talk about. Um, and then I, um, I moved to Mexico City. Uh, when I was uh, when I was five, and so I lived there for six years, and and had an opportunity to to kind of grow up in in Mexico wow. City, speak a little bit of Spanish, and and uh, you know got a 
great experience, cultural experience growing up. And then I came back to the States for middle school and high school and, and, um, you know, ultimately didn't trip over myself. So I ended up going to Duke down in North Carolina. So I've, uh, I've seen a lot of, a lot of the country, uh, my professional background, which we'll get into, I'm sure I've, I've been to all 50 States in this country. So I have a deep really? understanding. Of, That's yep, cool. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I understand this country very well. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you understand uh, North America pretty well, right? Like, uh, wow. I, I mean, yeah. from Canada to Mexico to, the, to all 50 states. That's pretty cool. Not a lot of people can say that. Do you yeah. speak a little French and a little Spanish? You know, I can, I can, uh, I can speak a touch of French. Just to under, I can understand a touch of French, but I, I was the full-fledged English-speaking Canadian. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, were both parents doctors, or what was the situation with your mom and dad? Actually, my my um, uh, nope. My actually, my mother and father were not doctors. My grandfather was, my aunt was, and my uncle was. Um, so my my father was a chemical engineer. My mother was an English teacher. Okay. Um, so we kind of had, uh, we had that experience, but I, you know, my grandfather was very influential in my home. And so he was, uh, a, he was a, tr he was a great doctor. And, and, uh, my uncle has since become a, a you know, kind of world-class surgeon and he's, he's tremendous as well. And so it's, uh, I definitely have experience, you know, exposure to it, if you will. So you went to high school where? Outside in upstate New York, in uh, outside of Rochester, New York, uh, okay. went to high school in a little town called Pittsford, New York, uh, which is actually very interesting. Uh, home of Wegmans, Paychecks, oh. uh, some of the most successful companies over the last twenty years were kind of that? born in that in that little you know little segment of the country. <laughs> how about that? Okay, so why why Duke? How did how did you choose Duke? You know, I'll tell you, I I had a couple different opportunities. Um, I so I played a, I played a sport in college. And What'd you play? So I played lacrosse in college. Sweet. Um, awesome. Yeah. And so, and I ended up, um, you know, I was, I was in upstate New York and so it's very cold. And so I, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, I was looking at these great programs, great academics, great cultures, all that kind of thing. But I was like, I, I never want to hold a stick where my hands are frozen anymore. So if I'm going <laughs> to play this sport in college, I might as well go south. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, the, it's the little decisions. It's the little things that make make decisions. You know? <laughs> did you go to Did you uh, go to Duke on scholarship for lacrosse? Yeah, we. we I, I did. It was a partial scholarship. Hey, that's um, even know. partial. That's a that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah I mean, you don't get the full scholarship in the non revenue generating sports. You know, so. <laughs> but still, they have a pretty good lacrosse. Did you guys? Uh, what was the best uh, you did? I mean. First of all, were you a four-year starter, and what was the best year the team had while you were there? Okay, well, well, the the first the first question is a good one. I, I started my sophomore year. I got injured, and uh, it was a non-lacrosse injury, and so I ended up um, not not playing as much my junior and senior year. So really, kind of you know went through a humbling experience there, which was okay. which was overall very healthy. Okay. Um, and were you super? Why were you super cocky before that? You no, like I wasn't cocky. I just think, you know, you go, you go through adversity and you have, you know, you learn some stuff. Right. It's not pleasant to go through, but you learn some stuff. Yes, yes um, for sure. But we, you know, we were, um, you know, Steve, we were, let's see, we were top 10 ranked all four years. We went to one cool. final four, one final eight, both times losing to Princeton. So. All right. Great experience. Yeah. Great, great yeah. experience. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when you're doing this, did you know, you know, were you, did you know for sure what you wanted to do? Did you have your career all mapped out? What did you know you were going to go to Harvard for, for MBA? Talk to me a little bit about that as you're going through Duke. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, look, I mean, I, I think any, it's rare that a college student knows what they want to do, right? right? You have inklings, you're driven by, you know, some things you're, you're, you're figuring out who you are. And so, you know, yeah. I, I thought I wanted certain things. I, you know, I, I had, uh, I thought I wanted to get into finance. Um, I ended up okay. uh, going into, you know, I had a couple offers, um, but I, you know, as, as sort of happens in life, kind of serendipity comes in and, and we had, uh, I had an opportunity to go work for a presidential candidate who, you know, was, um, you know, I, I wasn't really ideologically driven, but uh, it was an opportunity to make no money and travel around the country and get exposure to, you know, public policy and, and Washington and all that stuff. So I, I went how did ahead that, and I did. How did that happen? Did you, did somebody in your family know somebody and they're like, Hey, get my kid wants to volunteer. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, with, with uh, with that, you you obviously have to be a credible person. You have to have a good academic record. But um, you know, we we I I knew somebody who knew the family, and and they just took a liking to me and said, hey, you know, this guy's running for president. Cool. Uh, so hey, just come on board, and we'll you'll be sort of the little junior staffer person. And that was my first job out of college. <laughs> I, I love that. And by the way, it doesn't matter like left, right, Republican, Democrat. Just the fact that you got to do that that experience. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's. Okay, what was, can you give me something like really cool? Did you get to go to, into like the Oval Office and like here, here, you know, well, give me something good. Well, well I'll tell you, I, mean, I, I later worked in the, in the White House where I did get to go to the Oval Office and I had a desk about, you know, I would say about 20 feet away from the Oval Office for a year really? and a half. So that, really? that was pretty neat. Yep, yep, yep. Watching, so, you're, uh, was, so, uh, you're watching like super important people walk by all the time. Oh yeah, I was not one of them, but I was watching <laughs> super important people walk by. <laughs> Would you go to happy hour with your friends afterwards and you're like, wow, like, you know, guess who I saw today? Like, wow, that's uh, pretty cool. It's heady. It's really interesting. Well, it was, it was fascinating, right? Because I was there right around 9-11. And so uh, that was when Tom Ridge was appointed uh, Homeland Security Secretary. And, and I got to know, you know, um, Governor Ridge really well. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. Uh, wow. He was a former governor from Pennsylvania and just a really, really awesome guy. Um, okay. I did a lot of Homeland Security stuff and whatnot, but it was, it was neat. Yeah, it was neat. Now, this is before business school at Harvard, right? That's right. Yeah, that was okay. before okay. business school at Harvard. Yeah. So are you, are you there thinking you want to go into politics at this point? Or, where, yeah, how, how was you? Yeah. Career, what were you doing there? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Steve, I, you know, I had a really good experience, you know, back to the, you know, the first job, you're, you're spending time, um, you know, one day you're on a farm field in, in Iowa talking to, uh, you know, so people cool. who are like a pig farming, you know, pig farmer, and then the next day you're kind of in New York and you're talking to, you know, people who are financing the campaign and all that stuff. So you got a real cross-section understanding of the country. Cool. Um, but then, you know, when I went to the, look, I, I got an opportunity to go to the White House. Um, it was it was a super opportunity. I am very grateful for it. Saw a lot of stuff, experienced a lot of stuff. Again, 9-11 was an interesting time. It was, you know, we went from a domestic focus kind of education priority, uh, you know, uh, opening up relations with, with South America to a kind of, you know, quote unquote, wartime presidency, right, post 9-11. So it was really, really interesting. Um, wow. But I think, you know, I have a view, um, if you look at the most successful people in government, uh, it's not people who stay there for a long period of time. You actually have to get out of government and, uh, and go do something, you know, productive, not, not that government's not productive, but you got to do something in business or in law or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, so that you can, if you ever have ambition to go back, you, you have a, a sharper, sharper knife, you know, you have skill, you have a skill set, you have an understanding of, of whatever it is you're doing. Um, and you're just more attractive. Otherwise, you're just kind of a cog in the wheel of government. And, gotcha. and so, 
you know, I, I always wanted to go back into, into business. You know, I think a natural transition point was, hey, I'll, I'll go, you know, try to get my MBA and, and apply to a couple of different schools and, and was lucky enough to, to get into uh, to Harvard and, and spend two years there. And that was kind of my transition into, into the business world. Congratulations, by the way, getting into Harvard. I mean, and, and Duke. I mean, you, hey, you played lacrosse at, you played lacrosse at Duke. Yeah. You got into Harvard Business School. And oh, by the way, you got to travel around in the, in the White House a little bit and meet people. I mean, yeah. okay, early on, you're having some good success, my friend. Congrats on all of that. It was well, the, be the best job I had was when I was 26 years old, you know, I mean, for <laughs> God's sakes. <you> know? <laughs> okay, well, and then after Harvard, Morgan Stanley, let me guess, Morgan Stanley recruited you uh, out of business school. How'd that happen? Yeah, I, you know, I, I um, you know, I, I, I still had this hankering. Do I, do I want to go into finance? And, and I still hadn't sort of, you know, scratched that itch. And so I was looking at different opportunities and, you know, had a good opportunity at Morgan Stanley and, and uh, was there for five years and um, you know, did everything from investing in companies to advising companies to, um, you know, doing some, some, some things on the management committee, uh, not me, but sort of staffing, uh, staffing them. Okay. Um, and then from there, I kind of, you know, made a transition as well. Now, is that where you're like, well, you started investing in companies, doing valuations and, and all these, is that where you're like, okay, I like, I like this. I like the startup. I like the small company. I like the investing. I, I'm yeah. attracted. I'm attracted to that. Is that how that started? You know, it's a really interesting question, Steve. I think everybody, when they go through their career, they're, they're going to try things out. Right. And, and some things are going to feel better than other things. And, and what I realized through my chapter of Morgan Stanley, incredibly valuable, cha valuable chapter for me, you learn about, you know, how to, you know, look at financial statements, you learn how to value companies, you learn about capital raising structures, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you learn about industries, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but ultimately, what, what was more satisfying to me and what I knew was sort of um, in my in my DNA was I'm much more of a lead build person than an advise oh. and, and kind of invest, right? Okay. And so okay. I always found myself on the other side of the table of the entrepreneurs or the CEOs who are coming to us for capital and saying, I actually want to be on the other side of the table. Uh, I see. Okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Now, so this is happening. You're getting this great experience. What, and then Gerson, I think that's how you say it. They, they recruited you from Morgan. Is that what happened? Yeah. G, you could call it GLG. Um, okay. You know, GLG, Gerson Lerman Group. Um, you know, I, here's what happened. I, I, so I was at Morgan Stanley and, and I kind of, I was 30 years old and I said, geez, you know, um, I think I want to go in a different direction career-wise. In other words, okay. I want to, I want to lead build. I want to be responsible for, you know, running and leading teams or building operations versus kind of financing them. And uh, I looked around at different, uh, different opportunities and, and GLG was fortunate enough, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to bump into them really innovative model. And, and I had no leadership on my resume outside of what I knew in my heart and in my gut. And, and, um, and uh, they, you know, they said, okay, we'll give you a chance to run a small team. And, and, uh, you know, I, I went over to GLG and, and, uh, you know, ultimately ended up running a small team that ultimately ended up being a kind of the tip of the sphere for our, for our product strategy. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that was, that was tremendous. And so within two years, I was promoted to the management team and I saw that and had a much uh, sort of larger, larger mandate, uh, which I loved. Uh, I loved my chapter there. So. Good move. Good move. That's great yeah. experience right there. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, but now the, the, Hey, I want to do my own thing. Entrepreneurial bug is yeah. what is it? Is it like bubbling up down in there and your gut a little bit? You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity to step out yeah. and do my own thing. Or did it just come to you accidentally? Or were you looking for it? A little bit of both. 
you know, I I'd, I'd written, you know, in journals, um, you know, all the way back to, uh, I would say 2003, um, okay. that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, wanted to start uh, my own thing. It was just kind of what was the right time. Okay. Um, and, but then, you know, your, your question is a really good one, right? Because what ultimately ends up happening in entrepreneurship, you're either always an entrepreneur and you're always thinking up new ideas or an idea just kind of comes and kind of bumps into you and you're kind of like, huh, that's interesting. And you mm -hmm. do some work around it. And ultimately what I did is I said, great. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I spent, um, you know, I was, uh, let's see, I, 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 I just had my first, uh, my second child. Okay. Uh, and, and I, you know, so I did about three months of research, you know, had a conversation with my wife and I said, you know, well, let's do this. And so <laughs> how did I, I, how did it come to you? How, how did this happen? So now this is a perfect segue. Let's, let's walk into Sumas now. And yeah, yeah, tell me how, tell me how that happened, where the idea came from, some of the early conversations. Yeah. Talk yeah. to me. Yeah. So, you know, my, my co-founder in this business, um, non-executive, non but on my board, uh, Aftab Karani, and he, he and I were old friends from Duke, uh, you know, very smart guy, was a, a surgeon uh, before he went to McKinsey. Now he's a life sciences investor. And, you know, we were sitting down having coffee one day and, and he said, well, what, what if we did GLG for healthcare? And, uh, and I said, wow. And the light sort of went off. And I, and I was like, interesting, because ultimately what GLG was, is a marketplace for experts right? We, we had half a million people around the world. We had technology and service in the middle. And then we had customers who wanted access to expertise. And, okay. you know, we, we took that model and said, would that apply in healthcare? And, uh, and off, so off top and I sort of, you know, again, I spent about two, three months uh, kind of working on it and thinking about the market and did we have a product that, you know, that fit in the market and where was the market going? And, and uh, ultimately we decided to, to do it. And so you're at GLG while you guys are forming this and doing your homework on it. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you look, I mean, I was, I was hundred percent committed to GLG, but you know, ultimately what happens in these things is you, you start thinking about an idea and you're off hours, you're spending time, you know, looking at the market. And, and then, you know, as a, you know, I wasn't a 25 year old kid. I was, you know, I was in my, I was in my right. mid, uh, you know, kind of on the other half of 35. And, and so, uh, and so, you know, I was thinking about, do I want to do this? You know, I've got this family. Am I okay doing this? And then also kind of what is the business proposition? Does it fit with what I want to do personally and, and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing? And you had one co-founder, your friend, the, the guy that you used to party with at Duke, which I think is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, all right. At some point you guys say, all right, we're all in. We're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to form it. It was is Sumas today what it was when you first started or have you pivoted a couple of, couple of times? Yeah, that's a really good question. Look, as an entrepreneur, you always have to be willing to pivot and you have to be willing to pivot quickly. I think, you know, what, what Sumas is, is a, you know, we, we built a, a platform that really is informing medical decision-making through access to leading providers. And so when you, when you build a, it's a marketplace concept, when you build kind of a two-sided marketplace in that way, um, you have to be thoughtful around the value propositions for the doctors and also for the, uh, for the consumers or, or the patients in, in this case. Um, so I would say it's evolved pretty, pretty dramatically in, in great ways. You know, I mean, we started with this concept of, hey, we're going to deploy really great doctors across serious health concerns. Okay. But then what ended up happening is as an entrepreneur, you just bump into things that you learn yes. about. You're constantly learning, right? And, and yes. so you have to be open to that. And so 
you know, the story goes, Aftab's wife uh, was a, an ER trained doctor, really, really a tremendous doctor who was practicing at, um, used to practice at New York Presbyterian. She was the chief of, um, or sorry, the uh, chief resident of uh, emergency medicine at, at New York Presbyterian, New York's number one hospital. And what we found out was that our customers were loving the interactions with her. And then if needed, we would escalate to an expert. Right. And so what we learned there is like, wow, it's not just about the expert specialist. It's actually about, you know, the, the, the ER doctor who is helping people prioritize health issues, understand healthcare, giving them peace of mind. And today we actually have, if you look at our utilization profile inside of our customers, about 70% of our engagements are, are that interaction versus purely the experts. And so really? you're constantly evolving in that direction. Um, I'll give you one more. About a year and a half ago, I looked at the market and said, well, wow, we've built this really great technology platform, kind of a SaaS platform. Uh, and why can't we do this for hospitals? And so, you know, uh, we, we repurposed the SaaS platform to power uh, new patient acquisition inside of hospital systems. And, um, you know, we recently launched with Hospital for Special Surgery here in New York, uh, top, you know, number one orthopedic hospital in the, in the country. And, um, and that's been tremendous. So we now our customers, not only our employers and families around the world, but also hospital systems. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pre pretty neat evolution. So is it, do you, when you're talking to an investor, do you say, Hey, we're a tech company, we're a SaaS company, or we're a hospitality and healthcare company. How do you describe yeah. yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if, if for anybody who, who's listening, who, who knows sort of, you know, telemedicine, virtual care, you know, so it started with telemedicine and now, you know, there's this big virtual care category where there's lots of companies like ours who are, you know, mm -hmm. technically technology companies, but also marry that with, uh, with kind of a service component. There's, there's services is the category from an investor perspective. Yeah. Technology driven services. <laughs> okay, I like that. So today, right now today, the product, if you were going to give the elevator pitch as it stands today, somebody's never heard of Sumus. Give me the layman's term, two minute review. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So Sumus is a technology enabled platform that enables um, our members to connect with leading doctors across all health questions. Ultimately, what we're doing at Sumus is helping inform medical decision making through fast access to leading doctors across the U.S. healthcare system. And today, we have a network across 48 U.S. hospitals, uh, including some of the best doctors in the world, that consult to our platform and help our members make good decisions. And okay. The, and, and the way we the way we help people is is really across the continuum of health questions. So we get members calling us on complex allergies for their kids on weight management issues, chronic issues, preventive health issues, all the way up to ALS and cancer. And really our value prop is, is quickly connecting them with a, uh, with a leading provider who through a combination of clinical judgment and our, um, our technology is matched to their particular diagnosis. So they're gonna have a really informed discussion about what they need to do in healthcare, what their treatment options, what are the cutting edge uh, clinical trials or, or whatnot. Um, and, and, and ultimately what you're doing is, is helping people feel more powerful in their healthcare, in their healthcare journey. That's what we do. Mm, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in this situation and pretend like I'm a, I'm a customer real quick and sure. we'll walk sure. me through this. So, so I go to my family doctor here in this little town I live in, in Colorado. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's the guy that like, okay, you, you have the flu, like, you know, go home and tough it out. He's that doctor. 
Yeah, yeah. I have this. I have this back pain that I was going through last year. I'm like, listen, this 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 pain in my back is not going away. Like something's wrong. Yeah. I kept I kept telling him some something's up. I I know something's wrong. So he eventually says, okay, well, um, here's a couple of back doctor specialists that I know. Um, you can call either one and set up an appointment. Yeah. So then I have to go see them. And then I, I talked to one guy and he's like, yeah, this, that. And I talked to the other guy and I'm trying to decide who to use. And one of them's telling me to get a, you know, MRI and blah, blah, blah. Where, where would Sumas, where would you come into play right there? Would, is it yeah. right after, right after I talked to my family doctor and then, yeah, walk me through that. Yeah. So we could come in two spots right after your family doctor. You, uh, let's say you were at an employer that, that had Sumas as, as a benefit. You could call us up and say, Hey, I've been struggling with this back pain, you know, I haven't been diagnosed yet, but you know, here's kind of what's, uh, you know, what I'm feeling. We okay. would connect you with our Sumus MD. Um, and, okay. and you might even, might even have you connected with a back specialist, really informational, helping you understand maybe what it might be, um, you know, understanding your symptoms, not necessarily diagnosing you because you can't do that in a, in a virtual environment, but helping you understand your treatment options. And then from there, Sumus would work. Uh, again, we have technology on top of the healthcare system. We would help you find doctors, maybe in addition to the ones that your, that your primary care doctor recommended uh, that would meet our bar for quality. Uh, and and be able to see you, and then we guide you on sort of what the what the preparation is for that. Now the other the other piece we could come in. Let's say you saw those doctors and you're struggling. Okay, this guy's telling me this. This you know right. this this person's telling me that. Which happened? You know, that happened. I don't know what to do. And we, you'd go through the same process. We'd have a little bit more of an informed discussion with the back specialist. That person could be at HSS. They could be at a leading. Um, you know, orthopedic hospital or spine center on the West Coast, doesn't really matter. Uh, and you'd be connected with them. We would have your imaging, we would have your, um, you know, your medical history, and you would have a 45 minute conversation with them trying to understand, you know, are there surgical options? Are there non-surgical options? You know, what are the, what are the kind of the best in class, you know, treatment paths that we can, uh, that we can, that I can access. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately the value for you is, informing you as a healthcare consumer through access to the very best expertise. Okay. Uh, helping you not wander around the healthcare system. You know, let's say mm -hmm. you're at an employer, like you don't know, you might do a bunch of tests everywhere. You might see five different doctors and also helping you avoid treatment paths that are, you know, potentially not ideal for you. You know, do you want to get, you know, maybe you're getting a recommendation of surgery. Uh, maybe the back specialist we connect you with says, gosh, you know, most people that type of condition don't get surgery about 60%. And then you have a better, you know, more informed way to, to kind of, you know, make a decision on your, on your care. So you're, you're educating me, you're assisting me through the process. You're introducing me to more doctors. So I have more options. And in a lot of cases, probably better doctors because they're in Minnesota and I don't live in Minnesota and the best yeah. doctor for this yeah. thing lives there. That's okay, exactly so right. Okay, you're doing that. That all sounds wonderful. When I hear you say that, I'm also thinking, does this cost me a lot more? Like, what, what does this do to me? Like, is this, does my insurance pay for this? Or is, uh, what happens to me now with, with the bills hitting in, the, in the, the mailbox? Talk to me about that part. So that whole process is no cost to you. Uh, oh. we, we, we provide it to an employer. So an empl it's an employer-sponsored employer benefit. Um, oh. Think of Sumus that sits on top of your health plan. So if you're a CEO of a, you know, 5,000 person company, uh, ultimately the value to the employer is helping their employees make better medical decisions in, inside their plan, which is A, good for their employee base, but also B, drives cost savings for their plan, right? 
That, you know, I would have, I mean, this really applies to me. I would have used that. I had a couple, one guy's like, oh, it's just arthritis. I can see it right here on the CAT scan, blah, blah, blah. And the other guy's like, no, I actually think it's an annular tear, which I didn't know what that was until then. Yeah. You know, and so they're kind of arguing back and forth. And there was a moment where I'm like, hell, I don't, I don't know. Just give me some more pain pills for now. I don't know what to do next. And so, <laughs> and so I could have, you know, I could have, I could have definitely used the, the service. Right. And you're telling me too, that I can get my phone and I'm talking to a specialist in another state. And I'm, I'm actually talking, talking to the doctor on, on the screen on my phone. Is that accurate? Correct. That's right. Yep. And we would do all the work, all the records collection, all the scheduling, a very white glove, white glove product for you. Um, and our, our typical expert consultation is about 45 minutes. So again, we change, we change the marketplace for expertise. Whereas if you go see your specialist, you know, they might come in to see you for 15, 20 minutes, half of which might be their resident. You know, you get quality time with, uh, with this doctor really kind of walking through it, helping, you know, just deeply, you know, probing the questions, mm. uh, you and your, you and your wife or you and your family can do it together. Uh, you know, we can support multi-party video from anywhere in the world. Is your ultimate goal for the hiring manager at ABC company to be looking at a candidate they really want to recruit and they go, Hey, listen, by the way, on top of our awesome healthcare plan, we also have Sumas here. And then the candidate totally. is like, yeah, that's, that's it. Right. That's the magic for you right there. Yeah. And it, that's exactly right. And it's okay. a, you know, we're seeing that with some clients. It's a, it's one of the most popular benefits that they, that they have. I could see, I, I totally yeah. can see that. Walk me yeah. through the business model for you. So how, how do you guys, so, so the company pays per employee that signs up. What, what's your model? Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we, we price it to drive a, a return on investment for the employer, right? Okay. And, and return on investment is a function of the quality of the providers and expertise that we're, we're deploying for, for the employees and then the utilization across the population, right? And so uh, we're, we're typically going to price it on, on, a, on a per employee per month basis, uh, okay. PPM or PMPM. Uh, and then we're going to justify that with a, a certain utilization, which is driven by our business model. And, and then our costs on the other side are really, you know, doctor costs and just the, the cost of the technology platform and the service architecture. Okay. How big is the company now? Can you talk about any of that? I, I know it's a private company. I don't know how much you want to share. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking at LinkedIn. It says 13 employees. I have no idea if that's accurate. Talk to me. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little low. We, we got to We got to update that, but we also actually have, um, you know, we have, uh, we have about 30 uh, Sumus MDs who work with us as exclusively as independent contractors. And then we have a network of about 4,000 doctors. So the beauty of this, if you think about, you know, when Uber was first around, I think it was like a billion dollar valued company at, you know, eight employees, right? If you, <laughs> if you put technology in the middle of big networks, you can, you can, you can do pretty awesome scale, mm. you know, scale things without having a, a ton of employees. Um, bingo. Yeah. Bingo. So yeah. we're, yeah, no, we, um, you know, we've got a great, great core team. Uh, we're in the process of, of scaling our, our sales team. We hired a great sales leader um, and, and a handful of, um, right. sort of enterprise level sales folks that are out there, you know, engaging the market. Uh, we think we have a really unique product in the market, uh, something that's, that's different than, than other providers and other vendors and, and um, you know, really driving great impact. How do you, so the, what's in it for the doctor? <clears throat> Does the doctor sign up because they're going to get additional additional business they wouldn't have gotten? Is that, is that the relationship? Yeah, that's right. And, and we, also, we also pay for their time. So we, again, you kind of change the marketplace for, for expertise, right? So um, the traditional healthcare system, they get reimbursed, right? So this is an important point, Steve. Like, you know, back to my 
going back to my family, right? Um, you know, if you're a world-class physician or you're practicing at a leading academic hospital, the way that the healthcare system values the piece of the, of the care continuum, which is I'm giving you my viewpoints, my expertise, it's actually really low, right? So the way the healthcare system is right now is either health systems or doctors get paid the most for actually doing stuff to you surgery or treatments or, or see, whatnot. See, and so we changed the value of the concept of, hey, you've spent 20 or 30 years, you know, training to be the best at, at what you do. You know, we want you to spend 45 minutes with Steve and help him understand what the heck he needs to do. And, and that's, uh, so that's the value prop for them. Both, uh, you know, we value their time appropriately and then you might end up being a, a patient of theirs if, um, you know, if, if you have a good interaction. My favorite doctors are always the ones that spend time talking to me. Just talk to me. Just, just can there you just you be hu can we, can you just be human for a minute and like have a conversation <laughs> with me? Exactly. I mean, I, I swear. Last time I, I I I shit you not. I last time I went in to get injections in my back for arthritis. Yeah. I mean, the guy does a, an okay job on the injections, but I'm like, okay, are you a robot or are you gonna like? Are we gonna have like at least a five minute conversation here, or are you just yeah. gonna inject inject me and move to the next person? So I yeah. I love the fact that you you're you're creating this environment. Where yeah. you're, there, you're like you said, an average time spent with with the with the uh, patient is forty five minutes. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that's ever happened to me. I don't know if any doctor has ever spent forty five minutes talking to me ever. You're so, you're exactly right, and and that's just the way the healthcare system set up, and that's the beauty of our business model wow, is you you just wow. change the incentives for for wow. for people, and and you create a, you know, we we really have this core belief at Sumus that if you improve the provider experience you get a better customer experience. And I think, I, I think the healthcare system kind of has it background backward that way. Mm, I love it. Okay. I love everything yeah. you're, you're saying here. Okay. Let me ask you this. Let's go backwards just to, for a tad. Did you bootstrap this thing? Are you and your co-partner? Like, okay. He, <laughs> he, you were making good money at the time, you know, for, with your company, he's making good money. So you guys are, are doing fine for your families and professionally. Did you just throw in some personal money here, your seed money for yourselves? Yeah. How, how'd you, how'd you do that from a cash perspective? Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, good entrepreneurs, unless you're, unless you have zero cash, you, you want to show that you've got some skin in the game. So I, nice. I did put, you know, some personal money into it. Um, yeah. I should say my wife and I put personal money into it. She's <laughs> part of that team. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, and we did raise from great investors. So we, you know, you have to be very ca you know, careful as an entrepreneur who you raise capital from um, yes. and, uh, and, and, you know, what the terms are and you have to, you have to have an understanding of that. So we raised, you know, we raised seed capital and, you know, we just finished a, a recent fundraise. Um, you know, we haven't overcapitalized the business, but um, we have, uh, you know, outstanding investors who are, who, you know, kind of understand the space, you know, believe in us and, and uh, you know, have a lot of leverage in the market. So it's great. Congratulations. Thank was you. that chat was that challenging asking somebody to to write a check how, how'd that feel the first time when you're like hey listen i need this is how much we need can you just like write me a check real quick <laughs> you, you know it's so funny um you know the, this is why the you know that I, I never understood the silicon valley myth of the founder you know, you know what i mean and and but once you do it you're like oh okay 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 right because <laughs> it's really hard you know, it's a. It's really hard to build build a company from a PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> yeah. and b. You actually have to be like, you have to be able to be really skilled at telling a story that that talks about a value proposition to an investor. But ultimately, you have to ask them for money, right? That's and right. so, like, so yeah, that was that was challenging. But you know, 
I, I think as most entrepreneurs, once you find a good investor who's really excited, then you kind of leverage that and you, you raise more money or, or find more investors. And, and that's kind of how it goes. Now you've been doing this for about what, five years? Like when you guys yeah. really first started? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? What was the scariest moment for you when, when your wife's looking at you like, uh, can you just call Morgan Stanley back and see if you can get your job back? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think, um, you know, any, any first time entrepreneur, entrepreneurs generally, you, you always want to watch your, watch your cash balance, you know? And so yeah. you, you, you have to be really thoughtful around revenue generation. So, you know, the scariest thing for me was when we got into the employer market, uh, what I didn't know at the time was that it operated on an annual cycle. So in other words, if you're, if you're a company, yeah. you're buying a benefit on an annual cycle. So I have, to, I have to have a cash balance that takes me through 18 months before I can actually like be confident about having a dollar of revenue. So you know, that, that I think is the scariest piece. And, and I think um, you know, ultimately though, as an entrepreneur, there's gonna be a lot of fear, but you have to be able to overcome that. And you have to be able to just kind of you know, be, you know, adapt to the daily ups and downs. And, and just, you know, if you have cash, you are okay. And your goal should be to get to break even. Um, so that are you guys you, there? Uh, are you guys, are you, are you burning cash right now as you scale up? Or are you actually? We are, we are slightly unprofitable, but we raised money when, when we were profitable. And we have, a, oh. we have a plan to get to break even. And we are not overcapitalizing the company. We think we can drive a great, uh, you know, we can, we can drive a great opportunity with, uh, you know, by not taking, 20 or $30 million. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. Okay. Great. And by the way, let's just pause there for the listeners, for the aspiring entrepreneurs. So what, what Julian just said was, Hey, listen, we had a little seed cash early on. We took some small investments. Then we got the business going. We got some revenue going. We got some traction. We actually got to break even. Then we went to some investors and said, we want to scale the shit out of this thing. Now we're ready to really grow it. We've already proven that we can start a business and break even. Now give us some cash. And the only reason you're burning it now is because you're pouring it into sales and marketing and probably some additional tech stuff, I, I'm assuming. That's is right. that is that accurate? You nailed it. You nailed yeah, that's, it. And, that's and cool. I, think, I think a lot of people read about the kind of, you know, the venture funded, you know, companies and whatnot. And, and there's, yeah. that's a different model, right? I mean, if you have a, a story that is very aggressive and very big, you can overcapitalize it, but it, it becomes you know, you, yeah. if you don't hit, you're going to be in trouble. So, uh, and, and by the way, the, tr the, the translation of overcapitalized means you're not in charge anymore because you had to give up too much equity. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Most of the and time. Actually, and actually, Steve, you know this, right? As a, as a business person, like, you know, overcapitalizing makes you, makes you kind of lazy with your, with your cash. You're, it you're does. Just you know, you're not as, you're not as sharp about the decisions you're making. You're throwing cash around and, and, uh, you know, no doubt about it. I, I'll yeah. just give you, I'll give you a perfect example. We, we, yeah. we, we bootstrapped Riderflex as a recruiting firm, right? It's, we're about a million dollar firm right now in yeah. revenue, yeah. but, but Scott and I bootstrapped it right from the beginning. We never, we, we've never taken on cash. Congratulations. Yeah. But, thank you. But then, so then the, when the pandemic hit, we, we filed for our PPP loan, like every other small business in the country. Mm -hmm. And we got this cash in, right? fascinating how my behavior changed. I'm like, Oh, we just got like 50 K in for to help with payroll. So, okay. Well, you know, and you just, all of a sudden I got a little looser, just a little bit yeah. looser about some decisions. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is exactly how it happens. When you take on cash from investors, you just, you start, you, you're That's not exactly watching, right. you know? And so, yeah, 
Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, yeah. Very, very good. Okay. Well, was there ever a night? Did you have a couple of like 3 a.m. wake up, walk around in your living room kind of because you woke up in a sweat? Did you have a few of those? <laughs> I still have them, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so true. What about competition? I mean, how do you how do you protect yourself from? Because one of the things I thought about, and I don't I don't want you to like name competition, but one of the things I thought about when I was preparing for the interview is, well, I was like, well, United isn't United Healthcare just like going to build one of these on their own or something? I, I don't talk to me about that. Yeah, well, I think I think if you you know, the, the fundamentals of what we're building at Sumus is built on, built on what I think is an asymmetry in the market. So, okay. you know, right now you have a lot of bloat, you have a lot of bureaucracy with the carriers, United Healthcare, with the, with the hospital systems, and it's just a, it's a really inefficient place. So, okay. you know, I, I think our moat, and I think what you're talking about is a moat, uh, which is, you know, a unique product market fit where it's defensible, right? And so, um, you know, we, we think we have a good one around the experience that, that I personally have in building a marketplace for expertise, right? And, and the experience you provide for doctors, uh, the experience you provide for, for customers, and that's not easily replicable. You can't just, right. you know, United Healthcare can't go out and just do that. Um, it'll be, it could be really clunky, right? So uh -huh. we're not just a telehealth, a virtual care platform. They're, they're fundamentals to our business model that are, I think are uh, very different than what's out there in the market and, and defensible. Mm, love that. Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah. I was wondering about yeah. that. All right, a couple of uh, questions here as we move into wrap up. Knowing, knowing that there's... Uh, entrepreneurs and business owners, startup founders listening to this podcast, what would you say to the two guys that just graduated from North Carolina? I'll say North Carolina since that's the rival of Duke. They just graduated uh, North Carolina. They, they, <laughs> they just graduated North Carolina and they're like, hey, let's, let's start a business just like you and your friend did. Yeah. What would you tell them today? Early on, they're early on aspiring entrepreneurs. Yeah. They got an idea. What would you tell them? I, I think I think it's great, right? I, I think um, first of all, they're probably not going to understand the constraints that happen on later on in life, right? So whether it's you know marriage and kids and and right. a mortgage and stuff like that. So you know, there's a trade-off, right? The, the older you get, the wiser you get, but the more risk you take, personal risk you take, right? Yes, um, yes. So I, I think you know, the 25 year old entrepreneur is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity because you got nothing to lose, nothing to lose, you know? Exactly. And, and here's the other thing, um, you know, if you smartly try to build a company and if you fail, like nobody's going to hold it against you, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a great and noble mission. And I think a lot of companies understand that. Um, so, but I would say this, um, I, you know, I, I was looking at your notes uh, before Steve, I, I had, um, you know, one thing I wrote down is, you know, don't be an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. You know, Ooh. in other words, um, it might sound cool. You know, you might want to do something by yourself, but, you know, really be an entrepreneur if you really believe in your idea and it fit and it and because you're, you're going to be, I have it written on my whiteboard back there. It's a, it's a five-year journey minimum if you do it right. So you're not, you know, the whole kind of, hey, let's flip it in a year or two, you know, that, that you know, great for the 1% of the people that do that, but you have to be able to have sustained, resilient commitment to, uh, to, to building something. Um, number two is you, you have to, you know, you asked me this question before, which is, 
how does your, you know, how does your market of, you know, how does your sort of product evolve? But you have to have a core belief that the market will buy whatever you're selling, right? And you have to test that. So you could have all this like really cool idea to, you know, do what Elon Musk is doing and sort of plant, you know, chips into pigs and, and whatnot. But like, you know, he can afford to do that. The rest of us can, you know, you actually have to think about, you know, is this a, is this an opportunity that, um, that ultimately somebody will pay me money? Because you talked about raising capital from people. The other challenge is actually getting people to pay you for your service, you know, right? Yeah. They, they might tell you it's a great idea, but it, but it ain't a great idea until somebody pays you for your service. That's right. And by the way, for all of you listeners out there thinking about starting a service business of any kind, I'll just tell you right now, nobody pays on time. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So, so when you're yeah. planning, you're planning your cash flow. Yeah, no, you're right. I bet it felt good though. The first client you signed the very first check that hit the bank. That felt good though, oh. didn't it? Oh, it's the best. It's the best. I mean, you literally like, you know, I, you know, now you have like the chase app, you're taking pictures of the check. Like as soon as I open that check, we, boom, it's in. <laughs> we did that. We did that. Scott, my Scott and I, my partner, we're, we're at the bank. Like there's a, we're holding the yeah, yeah, yeah. picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, how about this? Um, the last question. Uh, if you had to put your, you have two kids now. Yeah. Two kids. Okay. All right. Two how kids. old are they? Uh, nine and six. Nine and six. I mean, you, hell, you're busy with you're busy with that. Much less running running a business. Holy cow! Yeah, I know. Um, if you had to put your wife and children, let's set them aside for a minute and assume they're the number one priority and core purpose in your life. So setting setting that aside, if you didn't tie your immediate family into it, what is your core purpose in life right now? How would you put that into a sentence? Hmm. Well. Um, do you mean, uh, like for the business or for, or for me I think, personally? I think, yeah, I think I'm, the better way for me to ask that is what is your professional core purpose? Okay. Okay. And, and you don't have to have an now, answer, by the way, you don't have to have an answer. I'm just curious what your thoughts are for uh, that question. No, look, I mean, our, our mission at Sumas is two-sided, right? We, number one is we want to be a powerful tool for people in their healthcare journey. And, uh, you know, I've experienced my, my, my father passed from cancer. My, mm. uh, my mother is a breast cancer survivor, you know, tremendous, tremendously strong woman. Um, it's really challenging when people are dealing with health issues, you know, whether it's a back issue that you're dealing with, what do I do um, <clears throat> to be a, a source of support, uh, of security, of peace of mind and, and empowerment is really important to me. Mm. And then I think on the physician side, you know, when in the days of my grandfather, uh, physicians were revered, right? They were, they were truly like, well, wow, you know, this person's a physician, they're smart, they're able to help us with their health. Um, I think um, to some extent, the, the healthcare system, just by the way that the systematic sort of processes, uh, the physician, you know, physician burnout is at 46%, right? And so, you know, wow. it's, it's just really unfortunate that people, are dedicating 20, 30 years of their life to medicine. It's a really hard road. I, I didn't, I couldn't do it. I, I started it at Duke and I just couldn't, it was just too much work. And, and um, you know, you have to love it and these folks love it. And so I think our other mission is to, to really, you know, change the marketplace for expertise for, for physicians because they, they're truly the core of the, of the healthcare system. You know, they're the people who are helping people make decisions, operating on people, um, and, uh, you know, again, back to our mission of kind of improving the provider experience, we think we improve the consumer experience. So, 
you know, that, that's really our philosophy and our, my professional mission. Um, and um, I enjoy what I do every day. I enjoy the, the business model. I enjoy, you know, the challenges, the ups and downs. And, but those two things really drive me. And it's kind of the, 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 the North Star, if you will, of our company. You know, I, I just think about your product. And I mean, if I can talk to a doctor without leaving my living room and he's on the phone and he's spending 30 minutes with me and he's like, hey, yeah. listen, I got all your, your stuff here. I'm looking at your, your, your uh, x-rays. I'm, I, you know, I saw the other notes from Dr. John and Dr. Bob, and here's what I think we should do next year. I mean, that just, just the sound of that is, is yeah. sounds awesome. I'm, I, I, I need to, we need to put uh, Sumas into Riderflex as soon as we're in there. You go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Congrat congratulations on everything you've built so far. Really. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you. It's, a, it's a special thing to build a company that also helps people and, and makes the world a healthier, better place, right? You're not just that's a cap, you're not just a capitalist, right? You're, you're also helping right. people. I think that's an awesome thing. So that's right. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.